at the life of David. This is our second week as we begin to look at this. And yesterday, uh, we uh, met with a group of folks. Pastor Stan led uh, a group of us who are hopeful to go to Israel uh, next month. And uh, as we were kind of talking about that and talking about the stories of the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, the truth, of course, is that these would have been um, orally kind of passed down. So they wouldn't have been things that were read, but things that were told, perhaps around a fireplace or, or in, a, in, in, in whatever, wherever else people were gathered to tell the, the stories about God. And while it is wonderful that we're able to read Scripture, it's great that we can see books that have uh, vivid pictures or movies of these stories, there's also something perhaps that at times is, um, is, is lost in the fact that we aren't just kind of sitting here and just kind of listening and imagining what it would have been like. And last week we talked about the importance of our being immersed in Scripture and allowing us um, with our full bodies and our imaginations to picture what it would have been like. And so this morning, um, I'm actually going to have us not read um, um, any of the scripture, uh, not look at it. I'm just going to, I'm going to say it and you can either close your eyes if that's helpful for you or keep your eyes open. It doesn't matter to me, um, but it will be lengthy. I want you to know that. Uh, it's 1 Samuel 17, the story of David and Goliath, the story that is familiar to the vast majority of us, I would imagine. Um, and so I invite you to just simply uh, sit there and to listen and to picture in your minds this scene. Before you close your eyes, let me tell you where we are, which is that the people of Israel, the soldiers of Israel are on one mountain. The soldiers of, from um, Philistia are on another mountain. And in the valley in between is where they are to battle. And Goliath, a man quite large, a giant, as they say, full of armor, he kept coming out day after day for 40 days, taunting the Israelites, and telling them that if one of them would come and fight him and was victorious over Goliath, then the whole, all the Philistines would then be servants to the Israelites. But if Goliath were to win, then all of the Israelites would become servants of the Philistines. And with that, we come to verse 17. Jesse said to his son David, Take your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also, take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See how your brothers fare and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. David rose early in the morning. He left the sheep with a keeper, took the provisions, and went as Jesse had commanded him. He came to the encampment as the army was going forth to the battle line, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage, ran to the ranks, and went and greeted his brothers. And he, as he talked with them, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard 
All the Israelites, when they saw the man, fled from him and were very much afraid. The Israelites said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. The king will greatly enrich the man who kills him and will give him his daughter and make his family free in Israel. David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done for the man who kills him. His eldest brother Eliab heard him talking to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. He said, Why have you come down? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down just to see the battle. David said, What have I done now? It was only a question. He turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. And when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul. And he sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are just a boy, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went went after it and struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by the jaw, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, The Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, go, and may the Lord be with you. Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped Saul's sword over the armor, and he tried in vain to walk, for he was not used to them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I am not used to them. So David removed them. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in his shepherd's bag in the pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. The Philistine came on and drew near to David and his shield-bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog? You come to me with sticks. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the field. But David said to the Philistine, 
You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This very day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the Philistine army this very day to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the earth, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword and spear, spear for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine drew nearer to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, striking down the Philistine and killing him. There was no sword in David's hand. And sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, open us up to what you would have us to hear and to see. And I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. Well, if you remember uh, back to your childhood and you remember hearing this story, perhaps for the first time or for the tenth time, it's, it's not hard, really, to recall exactly why we liked this story of David and Goliath. It really resonates with kids in, in several different Ways. Of course, kids love a story about a giant, right? I mean, we always love these stories, uh, you know, Jack and the Beanstalk and the like. It's always interesting to have a story with a giant in it. It's always good because kids tend to be so little, so everybody seems to be, of course, much larger than they are. Uh, most kids at least have one or two experiences, if not more, with being bullied. And so, so this fact of Goliath being there and then seeing the little man, David, be able to go and charge towards him, it gives those who are being bullied a sense of hope that maybe, uh, that, that maybe uh, all will be well with them as well. They root, of course, for David. Uh, you, you have David putting on all this armor uh, of Saul that, that was clearly misfitting and what kids don't love, kind of putting on uh, costumes from time to time. My girls love to kind of put on their, their mother's uh, high heels and to, uh, and to walk around, to clip-clop with them on, right? They love it much more than Megan loves it. And, 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 but just that sense of hardly being able to even walk because you're clearly, these were not made for you. And then... Of course, if you are a younger brother or a younger sister, you also resonate with this. Uh, you love the sense that David is tired of being left out of the action, right? Always left behind for the second weekend in a row. He's stuck back with those blasted sheep when all the exciting stuff is happening elsewhere. And so, of course, he wants to go in there and see exactly what's happening. I can remember growing up and my older sister, uh, you know, just staring out the window again and again as she 
would drive off to go hang out with her friends, and I was stuck with mom, right? She's out driving. I'm riding a bike. She goes off to the adventures of college, and I'm stuck in the drudgery of high school. It stinks to be a little sibling, I think. And to be able to see this and to see David gets to finally go out there, there's just something that we love about this story when we are young. But as we also said last week, one of the challenges is making sure that we don't just think about the story in that way of what it sounded like to us when we were young, that we also allow the story to mature as we mature. Uh, Because, of course, one of the things that you notice, maybe you heard it in this telling, um, um, there are things, of course, in here that you aren't always told when you're a kid. Right? I, I can remember when I was at seminary and uh, everyone uh, in this particular class was assigned to do a children's sermon. And so we each of us had a different day that we would go forward and do that. And on one particular day, uh, Ben, uh, one of my classmates, uh, he was really into it. I mean, he was really excited about it. So he even, he was the only one, as I recall, who asked us to do this. He had all of us who were probably in our 20s and 30s uh, come down and all sit around on the ground just like we would have, you know, uh, if this was a real children's sermon. And he had chosen that day to do David and Goliath, and he was into it. I mean, if you think I get into these stories, he was really into it. He was animated. He was telling us the story. It was, it was great. But then he kept going, and he decided that it would be wise to start going into all the grisly details about the story. And so he, he said, oh, yes, and then, you know, David said, all the birds in the air and all the beasts on the land, they're going to feed. They're going to eat all of the Philistines. And, and then he went on to talk about how, what it would have liked, what it would have been like to have to chop someone's head off and all the sinews and all of those things. And then he finished the story and we were all just terrorized. I mean, our mouths were agape. We were looking for our moms to try to run back to. It was a nightmare. And our teacher, the professor, said, well, you know, Ben, that was interesting. You may want to keep some of that out when you're actually doing this in front of children. And that is true and right. There is something at times to sanitize versions of stories. But as we get older, we need to take off some of those blinders or those filters, it seems to me, and be able to see the actual messiness of stories like this one. Because truth be told, again, as we have said, that it, it helps us The older we get, the more messy oftentimes our lives are, the more things that we discover, the more experiences that we have as well. And when we are allowed to kind of think about the messiness of this, when we can bring some of our own messiness, our own hopes that are dashed, our own disappointments, our own joys, and our own challenges, when we're able to bring all of those things into Scripture, then the people in Scripture, Samuel, Eliab, as we said last week, or or David or Saul, all of these these people are able to come more alive. The scripture comes alive when we bring our whole selves and place ourselves into the story. So as we mature, we don't want these stories to remain static. We want them to be alive because they, they are a reminder to us that our spiritual journey is to be alive. So that when we look at Goliath today... On the one hand, sure, it's a story about a bully in some sense, and 
All of us still perhaps have a bully from time to time in our lives, even as we get older. But, but we also are able to begin to dig down a little bit more into realizing that in many ways, of course, this is a story about what happens when we are full of fear. I love what Craig Barnes says about this, which is that oftentimes fear, in fact, most times we never have to go look for something to be afraid of. That fear, much like Goliath, it comes to us each and every day, right? It came for 40 days, each and every day, bellowing out these taunts. In the same way, the fear that many of us wrestle with at times, we never have to go looking for that fear. Instead, it begins to just yell at us, does it not? It begins to pierce us. It gets into our minds, and we can oftentimes hear little else other than that fear. And these fears, of course, can be anything. I mean, these fears can be things that are going on, large rifts in our families. They can be doubts that we may have about God, about ourselves or others. They can be our COVID, our fear of COVID, the fear of what's going on in our country or our world. There can be our anxieties about our own children and what's going to happen with them. They can be enemies that we may have. They can be almost anything. But they oftentimes just keep coming, whether we want them to or not. And one of the things that is fascinating about this passage is it shows us what we oftentimes do when we are confronted with this kind of fear. Look at the Israelite soldiers. What happens to them when they're confronted with this kind of fear? They are immobilized. They are, they are paralyzed by it. No one is stepping forward toward Goliath. If they do anything, they just simply run back. And who of us has not dealt with a Goliath-sized fear at some point in our lives and realized that not only can we hardly move, we can hardly even breathe? The thing about these Goliath-shaped fears is that oftentimes they are so large that we actually can see absolutely nothing else. We can't see above them, we can't see below them, we can't see to the left or to the right. We're staring at the navel of this Goliath fear, and it almost feels like there must be nothing else going on. It is all-consuming. I was reminded this week of, um, about something that happened, oh, I don't know, almost two decades ago now. Um, we went to go visit some friends, uh, family friends in New Orleans my mom and my sister and I. And while we were there, um, uh, we were meeting one of the husbands. I don't think I'd ever met him before, but he was in the living room of their house. And I walked in, and, and I don't know if it was fear or not. I, was, I, I wasn't really thinking this through. What I know is this: he was obsessed with the Iraq war. And when you walked in, it was what was on the television. He was watching some news outlet. I don't remember what it was. He was watching it. I don't remember a lot of other things that were around. I felt like there were some other kind of paraphernalia about this, if you will. Uh, and there was also, he had a clock, and the clock was on Iraqi time. And he was just sitting there, and he was just staring. And we had traveled a couple hundred miles in order to be there with them. Uh, uh, but he could not stop staring at it. He couldn't, he couldn't stop looking at it. We were trying to kind of, you know, bring him into conversation. I just remember how weird it was. I was like, man, he's not even... 
engaging. His wife was clearly frustrated. And, and, uh, but there was one person that he would talk to, and that was my brother-in-law, because he was, um, had been deployed to Iraq. And so when, uh, when this husband realized that, then, oh, oh, that just fired him up. And he was able to kind of talk through that. And, but other than that, it was just him and this TV and, and his family, quite literally, was really falling apart around him, uh, as we would later see. Um, but in the midst of this, what was fascinating to me as just some kind of observer was, was just how anything, including fear, how easily we could become so obsessed by it that, that no matter what else is going on, we can't think about it. We can't take any time or focus or energy to think about those things. The only thing we can do is, 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 just, is just absolutely focus on this Goliath of a fear. It becomes almost this obsession, this thing that centers every other part of our life. Of course, you also have King Saul. King Saul, who had seemed to kind of isolated himself, something else that fear oftentimes does. And it's interesting to see what Saul thinks that they should do, which is oftentimes what happens, which is when you're afraid of something, you think the only way to counter it is in the same way that it's making you afraid. So in other words, if the way that Goliath was making them afraid was through spear or through shield and through the mail, if it was, that was the only way, then that surely you must take that same shield and take the sword. And that's how you counter that Goliath, right? Whether it fits you or not, that's what you do. So often it feels to me in the midst of our disagreements about politics or COVID or whatever else it may be, when you see people who oftentimes are yelling out of their own fear, we oftentimes think that the only way to confront that, of course, is to yell on our own. And we think we just have to yell a little bit louder. And if we did that, that maybe then that will, that will solve things. And so we take these verbal spears and we just keep throwing them back and forth at one another. And then we keep wondering, why do I not feel any less? Less fearful than I did before. Or maybe we just try to armor ourselves. Oftentimes, this is what I see with people who are fearful of relationships. They're afraid of trying to love. They've been hurt or whatnot, and they're fearful of doing that. And so they put all of this armor around them, which, of course, only just feeds into the fear and never actually assuages it in any way. And so you what I want you to hear is you have this, this whole environment of fear and anxiety that is suffocating the Israelites, including King Saul. That's over Eliab and David's other two brothers who were there. There's all of this fear. It's paralyzing them, this Goliath-shaped fear. And in the very middle of that, in walks. David. David, fresh from the fields, in to bring provision and, of course, to see what's happening on the and the battle front. David comes and his ears are wide open, his eyes are wide open, and he wants to see what is happening. And it's almost as if there is nothing that he can do except for answer or ask that one simple question. It's almost as if it just rolls off his tongue. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine who should defy 
the armies of the living God. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine who should defy the armies of the living God? And all of a sudden, for the very first time in our story, the living God makes his entry and at least being verbalized into it. Oh, we've heard a lot. We've gotten a lot of detail about just how tall and big Goliath is. We've heard just how heavy his armor is, his helmet, the, uh, the uh, what is it called? I can never remember. The greaves that are on his legs, the bronze greaves. You've got a set of those somewhere, right, Steve? We heard about all these things, the sword. We've heard about the guy who comes and holds the shield, right? We've heard about just how scared the Israelites are how they're running. We've heard all those things. But only when David enters do we finally hear about the living God. And what we have to understand is that that question changes everything. The whole story turns on the axis of the fact that he has introduced and reminded them that they serve a living God. And what is critical to see is this. David saw Goliath. David heard Goliath. He was not blind. He was not deaf. However, that was not all that he saw. While, yes, David saw Goliath, he also saw that there was so much more. I like what Eugene Peterson says. He wrote a book. I recommended this a, a few weeks ago, and one of you I know at least picked it up because you told me last week that you had. It's called Leap Over a Wall. And here's what Eugene Peterson says, and I, I really like this. He says this. He says, the moment we permit evil, and I would, I would uh, include fear in this, to control our imaginations, dictate the way we think, and shape our responses, we at the same time become incapable of seeing the good and the true and the beautiful. In other words, what David is helping us to begin to see is that when you allow your life to become centered around fear, around this Goliath, then that is all that you can see. But when you allow your life to be centered around God, not only do you see Goliath and fear, but you also see the good and the true and the beautiful and the hopeful and the possible because you continue to see God. See, what we have to realize is that fear, it isn't just what it does to you. It's what it limits you from being able to ever see or experience. So think about it like this. We talk about social media at times here and the ways in which it oftentimes uh, does not seem to do uh, things that are healthy. So when you go through, right, and you, you look at some of these Facebook pages and you look at how wonderful their lives are and how great everything is for them and these vacations and the picture-perfect family and all those sorts of things, and you begin to see all those things. Right? We think about, oh, okay, well, yeah. Uh, but what happens, of course, is that we begin to become fearful that our lives are not as good as their lives. And as soon as that begins to happen, make no mistake about it, you begin to fail to be able to see the good and the true and the beautiful that is in your own life. All of a sudden, not only do you think their family's great, you begin to think your family stinks. 
All of a sudden, do you think, oh, man, they got to go to Disney World. You forget that you, you forgot you got to go to Disneyland, and Disneyland's still pretty great. All of a sudden, you see all that beautiful home that they have, and you forget all of the blessings that you have. You become so fearful that somebody else has all these things that you don't have that you fail to be able to see all the blessings around you. Or perhaps when you begin to focus in on media that begins to peddle fear, and all of a sudden what happens, of course, is not just that you begin to see, of course, there's something called COVID. Of course, there are wars. Of course, there are tragedies going on. But when you begin to become focused around that, you fail to see that there is also much peace in the world. Places where there used to be war, where there no longer is war. Places where people have been healed. Places where good things are happening. What fear does, if you are focused on it, it disallows you from seeing any of those things. Or if you become so fearful that you don't want to engage in any kind of real relationship with anyone else out of fear of what might happen, of how there might be brokenness, then all of a sudden you're unable to see the good and the true and the beautiful of being in relationships and how it deepens you. Or if you have a fear about whether or not what's going on with me physically, there's something wrong. And, and what do we say? What do you oftentimes do? We begin to say, oh, I know who will help me. Dr. Google always is helpful. And so you begin to dive into that because we think in our country that we, we think that information is like armor. If we can just get enough information. And so we just keep searching and searching. And you know what unearthed when you do that? A hundred more Goliaths. And as David Foster Wallace says, to borrow his phrase, when you do so, you die a thousand deaths before they ever actually plant you in the ground. See, what David does, it's not that David doesn't see Goliath. It's that David sees so much more than just Goliath. And that's what happens when you are immersed and begin to be centered around God rather than being centered around your fears and your anxieties. But how is David able to do this? How is it exactly that David is able to continue to see God? What marks him differently than the Israelite soldiers or than King Saul who were so amazed and enamored and obsessed by this Goliath that they can see no sense of hope, no sense of possibility, that they are completely blinded to God? Well, here again, I think Peterson is helpful. Because he sees this direct correlation between David and his sense of the living God. And the shepherding that he's been doing day after day, week after week, month after month, and year after year. You see, out in the hills and the meadows, David was immersed in the largeness and the immediacy of God. Here's what I want you to hear. So immersed in God's presence, that the God whom he could not audibly hear was louder than the roar of the lion that he could hear. So worshipful with God as we see throughout the Psalms and in other places was he that the God whom he could not see was more real than the ferocity of the bear that he could see. 
You see, in David, every day in his living God, this, this sense of these psalms, of him writing these psalms and these songs and this prayer and this worship and this singing and this adoration, all of those things that he did, yes, he continued to see the bear and the lion, and yet they paled in comparison to the larger vision that he had seen because he was in the midst continually of the living God. The point is this. David did not show up on Goliath game day just ready to take on Goliath. He wasn't just ready to rock and roll and he hadn't been prepared. David had been stuck day in and day out, immersed himself. When he watched his sheep, he was worshiping God. When he protected the flock, he was praising the Lord. When he walked the hills, he was watching the creation of God. And in the midst of all of that, his vision became so large that Goliath, as large as he may have been, his fear of his seemed like nothing but an ant because he realized that nothing, nothing was going to be able to thwart the plans of God Almighty. That only happens when we are immersed, when we are saturated, when we are centered on the living God does not mean we will have no Goliaths. It does not mean that we will not wrestle with things which bring fear. But it does mean that we always know that the living God is so much larger than any of those things. That's why, as I said last week, I think it is so important for us to do more than just mentally think about Scripture. That comes naturally for many of us. But fear, as you may know, fear affects more than just our minds. Fear begins to affect our hearts. It begins to affect us even physically at times if we've been stuck in fear for long enough. And so if we want to have the presence of the living God, then we need to immerse ourselves, body and heart and mind, into this living God. And so I want to encourage you, one of the things that we can do is this week, think about 1 Samuel 17. And I, I want to encourage you this week, every day to read it. It's a long passage. But to read it with different lenses in mind. To read it and think, what would I be thinking if I was, in, if I was a soldier of Israel in this time, and I saw Goliath, and then David come up, and then David running toward Goliath? What would be going on in my mind? To inquire, what would I be thinking if I was a King Saul? I was both powerful and incredibly powerless at the same time. What would it look like? What would David have looked like in that armor? What would it have been like if you were David and running towards Goliath? Or, let's be honest, what would it look like if you were Goliath? Almost all of us in our lives at one point or another have caused others fear or intimidated them. And perhaps even just to write this down, here are my reflections as a way of kind of immersing yourself into the story, into the living word of the living God. But then also I would invite you, remember one of the things that made David different was this, this or that, that, that allowed David to understand these things was how, how much he was out in creation, in the, the hills and in the valleys. And so I want to encourage you, look, it is beautiful outside. Bundle up. 
Go out. One of the things that happens, of course, in the midst of fear, as we said, is that our vision begins to shrink. It gets smaller and smaller so that when we go out into creation and see the creation of God and the vastness of this creation, we begin to realize that whatever that fear is, is so much smaller than the God who created all of these things. But as I also wrestled this week with trying to figure out how can we, how can we more physically be involved in this worship this morning, I realized that there was one other thing I wanted us to do. Hopefully you received when you came in one of those little white squares of paper. And if you didn't, let us know, and we will, um, um, Lynn can kind of give you one. Just raise your hand. I want to encourage you to write down one thing that brings you fear. One of the things that fear does, as I said, is it isolates. And I think that there is actually a gift in realizing that you are not alone in this. All of us have something. For some of us, it's the same thing. For others, it's something completely different. But I want to encourage you to just simply write that fear down. And then to come forward, and if you want to, uh, um, if you want to, uh, if you want to wad it up and throw it into the basket, like David, if you miss, it's okay. We'll pick it up. And then I want you to take up one of these stones. Stones, of course, a reminder of the story of David and Goliath. But on those stones are written, each one of them, I hope, uh, those words, "Living God." We had on Friday night, if you want to know what the Deck family does for fun, um, um, we, I had my girls uh, uh, write Living God on each of these stones. So if you pick up one and you say, well, this looks like it was written by a six-year-old, it probably was. <laughs> but I want, you to, I want you to take it home, and I want you to put it in a place that oftentimes causes you fear. Maybe it's next to a computer that you have. Maybe it's at a workplace. I don't know where it is. Maybe it's in your car, wherever it may be. As this simple reminder, you see, I think it's interesting that God is never mentioned, right, until David mentions it. Saul doesn't mention it until David says to him, the same God who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear is the one who will deliver me from Goliath. And then Saul says, go And may the Lord be with you. There is something, it seems to me, to even just remembering and seeing this fact. Oh, that's right. It's not just the Goliath in front of me. We serve a living God. So take a few minutes now. Write down your fear. Come up. Put it in the basket. If it's very private, you don't want to put it in the basket, that's fine. Pick up a rock and go back and take that with you. Let's do so now.